Hi, my name is Tom Rooks. I'm the director of rowing at Williamsburg Boat Club, which basically means I coach a lot. I've been involved in the sport of rowing for coming up on 30 years. Love what I do and probably won't ever stop. Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix, where the water is always flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real-life experience from launch to coxie at every level. We're Tara Morgan and Rachel Friedman, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode, a club spotlight on Greater Columbus Rowing Association. This master's club in the Buckeye State enthusiastically brought a whopping five members to the table to tell stories about learning to row and falling in love with head racing, supportive board leadership, seeking opportunities for DEI and adaptive athletes, and a whole lot more. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at citystatenetwork.com podcast or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And while you're there, would you leave us a review? When you do, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. Thanks. We're really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. I met Coach Tom Rooks a few years ago and was immediately a fan. When it comes to his scholastic rowers at Williamsburg Boat Club in Williamsburg, Virginia, hard work is important, but his fun first philosophy tops the list. Tom learned to row in high school in Florida and after serving 22 years in the U.S. Coast Guard, helped establish the Williamsburg Boat Club. He's used the COVID pandemic as an opportunity to rest and has spent time thinking about better ways to encourage youth rowing participation, positive team culture, and creating fair opportunities for racing. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate the invitation. So how's your rowing week going? This is probably my favorite week of every season. So the regattas are done. There are no more lineups that anyone's you know, there's no particular need to accomplish any particular task. And so now we can just go back to being a team. So we, we row, you know, we intermix the crews. We go into our boat lineups and types of boats we don't normally row. And we just really try to maximize the camaraderie of this week. So you finished up your season then. You, you finished up your season with Head of the Aquacon in Virginia this past weekend, right? Yep, we sure did. How'd it go? It was good. I mean, I it's... Uh, we have this, this thing where it's, uh, we truly don't focus on the results as much as the process. So like we had a boat win in a, in a category and they were dissatisfied because they knew they hadn't rode their best. And then we had a boat that didn't place as well as they could have, but they were pretty joyful because the, they knew it was a fast row. So that's kind of, it's, you know, I, I just hope the results match the effort they put in. In some cases they did. In some cases we have some lessons to learn to move forward with. And that starts from the top, right? Like when you're coaching Scholastic, especially their version of outcomes in their entire lives is grades, right? That's kind of the big part of their lives is grades or wins, losses, you know, if they're on a sports team or whatever. And for kids, I would imagine that when they come into your boathouse, how do they know what your philosophy is? I'm I'm a fairly talkative person and our, our, team culture on day one before they even come to a recruiting event we talk about how the culture is first the the sacred thing at our club that doesn't get to be uh, negotiable is how we treat each other and no kid gets to touch an oar until we've kind of had that conversation on on a personal and uh, more you know group level We, we we talk about our culture a lot because it's the one thing that has to endure above all so what's special oh sorry go ahead rachel i was going to say how do you think that compares to other sports and other coaches that maybe some of these student athletes have come across well i i think i I can't speak to everything but i can just use the example of my earlier coaching in the 90s when i thought it was really important to win a medal and and i still think it's important to be competitive I, i mean why else you know show up to the race but i realized when I came back to the sport that the enduring memories weren't 
the race results. It was the sound of the breathing of the people I rode with. It was the, the water on the hole. It was the, the part I couldn't get away from that still like, you know, is in the back of my dreams every night is, is that part. It's never really been what our time was rowing. The beauty of being a water sport is we have to adapt and the times I think are almost irrelevant if we do it right. What, what's relevant is how we did it, who we did it with, you know, what, what, how do we take care of each other? That that's the stuff that endures. So I think the beauty of a water sport is it gets you out of setting the treadmill to a certain number and measuring your life based on what the result is. I know we want to talk about how your rowing origin story started, but to just riff off of that one more uh, with another question is how do you know that you've done a good job? How do you know you've succeeded? Uh, do you have a story about a student who's come back to you or an experience at a regatta? Like, how do you know that oh, that, that has worked? Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll tell you as quickly as I can, the two best accomplishments I've ever had as a coach. I was coaching a team in Northern Virginia that had a lot of kids that were pretty well to do. And we had one kind of kid on the team that, you know, liked his trench coats and liked to row in jean shorts and thick glasses. And one day the guys came to me and said, Hey, you know, coach, we think that kid is weak. We don't think he pulls hard. We think he smells. And by the way, we happen to have this really cool friend in the 2V that we think would make the boat row better. So I said, sure, why not nine ergs and send them to 1500 meters and we'll find out. And um, the kid that they had kind of overlooked uh, came in second to a guy who would end up rowing the Olympics uh, down the road. Wow. Yeah. And um, after he came in second, that guy came to me and said, coach, can we talk to him? And I said, are, you know, are we good? And they're like, oh, we're good. And the team captain lined them up single file to apologize one by one. Wow. Wow. So this kid was feeling marginalized. He was already feeling like he He wasn't welcome. He he wasn't one of the, you know, supposed cool kids. And I I think about that lesson and what those kids learned that day that like there are things their dad couldn't buy them. There are things that like you can't be given. And then I think about the other young man learning there are things you can earn that no one can take away. And I'd say that's probably my proudest moment as a coach was actually that day. I mean, I've, I've coached boats that have won some pretty major events and gone on to do, you know, great athletic things. But I would say that. And then the second one happened here at Williamsburg. A couple of years into it, I had a sophomore who had made the Varsity 8. And the Varsity 8 won a regional or a little local championship race, 18 teams in our local region. And so they'd won the Varsity 8 handily. And his mom came to me afterwards and said, you've got to go. I won't use his name, but you got to go find my son. He's talking about quitting the team. He's in the woods yelling and, and frustrated and says he's quitting. And this is just after he won a big race. So I find him and he sure enough is distraught. I mean, that's just the best way I can put it. And I said, what's going on, buddy? He goes, coach, I don't belong here. I think I'm going to, I'm going to hang it up. I, I don't belong here. And I said, what do you mean you don't belong here? You know, you just won big race, biggest boat, hardest to get into. And he said, yeah, but when, when we were walking the boat to the slings afterwards, I noticed I was the only one that wasn't limping. Hmm. And I don't think I rode hard enough to deserve to row with this team. Yeah, it is a culture of suffering. You know, it, it yeah. really is. And that's, I think that we're getting away from that. I think yeah. as we look, Rachel and I talk a lot about the whole athlete and looking at yeah. the kid uh, or the master's rower, especially um, just what's going on in their lives? Like, who are yeah. they as people? And if you make eye contact with every rower that comes into your boathouse and say, hello, welcome. I'm yeah. glad you came today. Thank you for coming yeah. today. Um, it makes such a huge difference because a lot of these kids are just kind of floating through and COVID especially uh, really disenfranchised a lot of people and put a lot of people out into yeah. the spinning out, you know, into the ether, but um, yeah. that's great. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So what's your rowing origin story? How'd you find rowing? So I, I, it, it's kind of awkward because my, my grandfather was the president of senior rowing club for a long time. And he had my father learn to row with Jim Storm, who won an Olympic silver medal in, in San Diego. But neither of those men ever encouraged me to row in any particular way. I lived with my mom growing up and I basically got sick of basketball culture. I'd, I'd been through some pretty hard physical abuse um, on my high school basketball team. And to, to make it very simple, I was looking for another option and all the coolest girls I knew 
who I, who I all the all the girls that like the Smiths and the Cure that I liked, uh, all the all the girls that like the bands I liked happen to be rowing. So <laughs> I thought, hmm, this might be worth a go. Um, I could barely afford it. It was, you know, I was a mess. But by the third practice, I felt something pass over. I was being pushed ahead by something bigger than me, and uh, I still feel that way every time I get in the boat. Um, I, I just I've been a competitive triathlete I've been a cyclist but I I can't get rid of that feeling so I started rowing my senior year um I had a wonderful coach who I didn't know what a meritocracy was and didn't understand that it could exist until Rick Gotham coached me and um he if you put in the work you got the reward end of story nothing else mattered didn't matter didn't matter what you you know looked like what your pedigree was and uh so the first time in my young life, you know, as a teenager who was kind of a punk rock kid, I was always looking for something I could believe in. And uh, he taught me I could believe in myself if I was willing to suffer a bit, you know. And and actually, I would say I've, I've, I've thanked the brothers, the Dresdegacker brothers for this. The erg I taught was the first thing I ever found in my life that was fair. It didn't know what brand of shoes I had on. It didn't know. All it knew is whether or not I, I could suffer. And um so weird, weird to say I came to the sport through the Yurk, but um, it's like I rode for a year at Boone, Boone High School in Orlando, Florida. The day I graduated, coach kind of liked my intensity. Um, I'm a pretty passionate guy and I wear it pretty openly. So he hired me to be the coach, uh, to be an assistant coach the day I graduated high school. <laughs> and um, so probably not the best move to have a 17 year old guy coaching the novice women at his high school, but um, that's what I did. Um, how'd that go? Yeah, well, they rode fast and, um, you know, they rode fast. I enjoyed it, but it became quickly clear that I was, I was the opposite of the, my career later would be personified being, being the opposite of my coaching. I lost an engine off the back of a launch. I ran a John boat and cracked the gunnel of a boat that had been donated in front of the donors the first day it was rowed. Oh, no. Um, I, I did every possible wrong thing except that i did probably get some people to love rowing so i guess it was a win sort of and from there i went to row for ucf and um but to be honest with you i was not i tried being a lightweight i'm six foot four and a half um it was not a healthy journey so after a year i walked away with a future wife and uh that was that was i think a pretty smashing success we celebrate our 25th anniversary here in a couple months. Congratulations. So, hey, your yeah. wife is, is Michelle. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Is she she's, a rowing widow or is she also a rower? No, she. it's quite the opposite. She's the reason I have to coach. Um, so when we came here, she said, hey, you have nights off for the first time in 22 years. Let's get back into rowing, right? And so we come to a practice and there wasn't a coach and the team was pretty informal. So after practice, I had thought, yay, I'm getting back into rowing. I can't wait. You know, I still have hard strokes to take. She says to me, well, you know, they don't have a coach and I'm not going to stop rowing. So you have to start coaching. <laughs> and so I started coaching. She's spoken. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's she's a lightweight. But man, she uh, she's a beast. I mean, my wife is amazing. Uh, her she favorite a- exercise in college used to be having me jump on her back so she could do sets of 10 squats. Nice. She's, so- she's five four and weighs like a biscuit with some jelly. And, uh, nice, you know, nice. I'm, 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 I'm not that small. I, I outweigh her by over 100 pounds, and she likes to squat me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> nice. Is she a bow seat or a stroke seat? She's a stroke seat. Yeah. She's a, born, she is <laughs> yeah. a born stroke seat. Never any boat she's in, she ends up gravitating towards stroke because she's a, a, a stoic, <laughs> stoic, stoic person. Every nice. stroke is the same. First stroke of a first stroke of the day, the last one with her is passion all the way. Yeah. Wow. Now you've raised a couple of rowers too. Right? Oh yeah. Son and a yeah, yeah. My, my daughter's a junior at Washington college. Um, and she is, uh, she's doing great there. That has been, we're very lucky. Every ounce of my daughter's college academic and rowing experience has been exactly what we would have dreamt of if we could, have. you know, if we could design it, it would be what she's experiencing. She's had a great time and great coaching staff there. And, um, and then my son is a senior and he is, I'm, I'm really proud. He was in the quad that won Aquaquam this weekend. So it's kind of really cool that my son, his senior year, wanted a big regatta that I haven't coached a crew that won at since like 98 or something. So it was kind of a poetic 
you know, full circle. He almost quit the sport last year. Um, like many teenagers, he's he's exploring different things. He's the lead singer in a rock band, and they're very busy, a lot of gigs. And um, rowing isn't sometimes quite as cool as being in a psychedelic rock band. Yeah. Um, so well, he still rows. I think that's an interesting conversation too. Truthfully, not one I think I've really had with Tara or any of our guests, but like when um, someone's personality is, I don't want to say split, but oftentimes we think of athletes and we think of creatives, right? Yeah. And sometimes we don't think that the two come together, but I think I'm one of those people, a creative and an athlete. And it sounds like your son is in that same boat. And, uh, but he's at that phase in his life where, which one takes precedence yeah yeah it's difficult we talked i talked to the kids i coach a lot about how most interesting people in my life very rarely fall into being either or or mm -hmm. they're almost always and mm -hmm. and um i'm fascinated by people who are this and that or do this and that and i have found that rowing has really helped my son depressure his future music career because at the end of the day, for a couple hours a day, he can come out and focus on something, be in his body, be with his teammates and not be worried about the next song they're writing or the next gig. And it's it's given him more balance and resilience because not everything in his life is in one basket. So I, I, I try to encourage our kids. And this is part of, probably why I love coaching a club versus my earlier days coaching scholastic teams. On the club, hey, if you are in the marching band and the choir and you're a thespian and you want to come to practice and row once a week, good on you. It better better you row than you don't, right? I and love so that. We want, we want kids that are, you know, pursuing their, their passion. Um, I don't want to make a kid into a singular, you know, entity, a, a cog in some wheel generated to win something. I mean, that, they won't endure. That won't help their journey. Yeah, I've heard that from uh, conversations I've been having with Greenlight crew here in Seattle that, you know, making room for kids who do a lot of different things. And, you know, I know uh, is really important. It makes them well-rounded. It's like it's like the argument for multi-sport athletes as children, you know, like that I'm playing lots of different sports. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, having a team and having accountability and being part of marching band and having accountability. Those are all like things that they have to schedule and things they have to put in Excel at. And um, it's just a really positive way of looking at it. I think there are too many rowing clubs in the, the high school level that are so demanding. Like if you don't show up five days a week at, you know, three hours a day, you can't row or you can't compete or you can't be viable for one of the boats or something. Yeah. And I think that's the way, that's the future of inclusion in these junior programs, because I think there's some kids who are marginalized because they can't make that commitment either financially or just time-wise um, and giving options to kids uh, so that they can still be part of the sport is really the path to inclusion. Like, I think that's it's something that we're talking a lot about. Um, how do we really truly make the sport available and not so exclusive? And I don't think people really associate that a five day a week, four hour a day practice really is exclusive. I mean, the kids are oh. wasted when they're done after being at school all day, you know. It's incredibly, it's incredibly, our sport finds itself being incredibly exclusive despite a lot of wishes and hopes to, to not be. And I've been, and, and there's something great about, you know, I had a 12 year break in my rowing journey because of my military career. And it allowed me to kind of, see the bigger picture when I came back to rowing, at least as far as I view things of every, every stroke is valid, right? So whether or not your future is to be um, a casual person who enjoys sculling and will stop and watch the birds fly over and, and, mm -hmm. and, and learn to name the trees, that, that stroke is every bit as valid as the A final of a major regatta when you're 20 or whatever. Um, so, for me, like the right athletes, the super competitive elite athletes, which I've had the pleasure of coaching a few, they, they find themselves, right? And that's fine. That is, I'm not judging people who want to do seven day a week rowing, training, you know, all in. But why, why not recognize the valid, you know, approach others take? And, and, and I would rather, I talk to the parents about this a lot and I say, look, success for me is when I'm 80 something and I'm sipping my macchiato and my old rowing blazer. And I see your 40 odd year old daughter at the boathouse that she's 
satisfied with who she is that maybe she's not antidepressants maybe she's proud of her her phys- her physique her you know that's confident and and uh if we create that I'll, I'll take 100 of those for every you know person that gets a scholarship somewhere I, I, there's a bigger thing we can accomplish if we do it right um mm-hmm. than what you do as an undergrad Get bonus Steady State content, early access to podcast episodes, and store discounts when you join our Patreon community for as little as $5 a month. Become a patron today at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Coach Tom Rooks. That's one, two. To riff on that, you know, this notion of, you know, winning isn't everything. And I think that we can take that from scholastics straight up through college and the master's levels. And I'm going to guess that a whole lot of people that listen to our podcast may not win gold medals at every event that they go to. And there are so many reasons that we all get up every morning and go to the boathouse. And everyone has a different story and everyone's fighting for something different. Uh, and everyone has different goals in mind. And uh, I love this notion that this is what you bring to your young athletes, teaching them that what they want can be enough. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. I, I, um, one of the great questions that I read a lot of coaches get asked and top athletes is, is it that you love winning or hate losing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And both can drive you to accomplish amazing things, right? That kind of chip on your shoulder or that just exuberance of a victory. But I, for me personally, and again, there's everybody's approach is valid. Um, I, it's neither one of those for me. It's about loving the process because that I can control, right? So if, if my success is defined by whatever my next competition is, and I tell the kids this all the time, um, then I guess you're only allowed to be happy if you win an Olympic gold medal and then for about a half hour before the next competitor goes to the gym. Um, That's a pretty unhealthy, in my mind, that's an unhealthy way to approach your life because if, if winning is it, then you can only be happy when you win the world championship for till the next day when everybody goes back to the erg room. Yeah. And we've, We've heard so much of Olympians experiencing massive depressions um, and really feeling very uh, discombobulated and lost uh, after they come back from those kinds of things. So I was curious, like when you, and what's a quintessential, like how would someone describe you on the, at a practice in the launch? Like what's a quintessential sort of couple of things you would you would do like what's a favorite workout or what's a way that you really encourage people or do you have a favorite part of the stroke that you just love to coach or oh man i just watch the corners um for me it's the corners right it's um it's it's the it's uh i'm passionate about efficiency so i've been through some different iterations of how we row you know when i was in the you know early 90s that we were all that wop sound and we have to stretch really far and lay back really far. And then now we're all doing this pause drill, every stroke. Um, I just want you to row in a way that's healthy and looks normal. And usually if the corners look good, the rest will be okay. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time worrying about entries and exits and then the rest of it kind of comes together. Um, particular workout for me though, honestly, it's, it's a, I, I developed and I used to teach a leadership school in the, in the Coast Guard. And one of the things we talked about was developing one voice, um, having one authentic voice. That way you don't have to have different personas. And I think if somebody was to talk about a practice with me, it would be that at some point I might be singing you Hamilton songs because I'm so in love with the work you're doing. And at some point I might cry because it was the most beautiful sunset as we were out there together yeah. and I could see how hard you worked. Yeah. And if you do the wrong thing, anyone will tell you if you do the wrong thing as far as how you treat someone at our boathouse my passion goes to a a more dark side of the force Um, so it's it's all of those things can happen in the space of an hour um because they're all true yeah so really hard on your sleeve yeah i can't i i just don't know how i I gave up trying to be demure You know, I am where I'm at and that's, that's, that's what I got. I think that's really fantastic. And it gets me thinking um, about, but generally coaches and emotions. 
Um, I've been in a place where as a woman who's a coach, um, I've been labeled certain not so nice things because I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I think it's different for men. Um, I might be putting you on the spot here, but it's just kind of got me thinking about that, where if I had a coach like you who wore all of his emotions on his sleeve, I'd really appreciate that. And I think when women coaches do, it starts to get a little uh, dicey. I think that coaches and their rowers and uh, folks who are paying attention to those coaches might have things to say about female coaches who are emotional. I'm putting that in quotes. Um, so, so I have had some of our women coaches express not, not unfairness as of right, but like that they notice people respond to me one way and maybe not to them the same way. And I, I have the privilege of working with, working for, and helping raise some amazing uh, women leaders in the Coast Guard and powerful, strong, confident, respected people. And what I would say is I don't know how to fix the world, but if you are being true to yourself, if you're using your authentic voice, if you're whatever that is, if that's passionate, if it's not, if it's just detached a bit, if you're being true to yourself, you won't have any regrets. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and at least you will have the dignity of knowing you were being honest. Right. And then people trust that people know when they're not getting a show. And so even if you're not everybody's cup of tea as a coach, as long as you're being true to yourself and really speaking with your voice, you have their trust and you won't have regrets, but the rest of it, I can't control. I'm sure some people think I'm goofy and kooky and, and that's fine with me. I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'll be here. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely that type of coach. I would. And, and I think we're at a point in the rowing community where I'm hoping that coaches like us who are, who have a sense of humor, who are passionate, who speak our minds, who are very authentic are not atypical. Mm-hmm. I've come from boathouses where my style, like they would say I had a certain coaching style, you know, and it's like, well, I want people to enjoy the sport. I want them to go away feeling fulfilled and feeling challenged and feeling uh, connected to, yeah. my, to me, to the sport, to each other, to the water, to nature, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you characterize maybe inadvertently or directly your role in mentoring new coaches and coaches coming behind you. Yeah. I I think it's, it's interesting because we kind of have in my experience in Williamsburg, because we're not in a major city, we attract one of two types of coaches, either the soon to be retired or retired person who loves the team, loves the sport and wants to help out. In which case I'm doing more mentoring on the, like, here's how you get a, a reluctant engine to work in a coaching launch. I mean, literally like, teaching like the just very specific the journey of a season as far as training like what point should we be doing what kind of stroke rates with which level of rower but then more importantly i think is i get a lot of uh grad student you know just post-college people who love rowing or you know whatever and i feel like my job with them is to help them um make the transition to like seeing a broader picture in the sport Right. Like whatever your coach said, whatever their technique focus was or whatever your college team's goals were is not the whole picture. And so a lot of times it's teaching them how to keep their decisions, filter their decisions through the culture, through the process. And, 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 you know, that way, once they learn, well, here's why I put this person in this boat or here's why we're putting that line up in this weekend. And if I make them defend that a little bit, not, not, you know, like uh, not some Socratic method, but just what got you to that decision? If, if, if they can stand by it, then they'll never have a hard time explaining it to the athlete or the parent or whoever. So I, I spent a lot of time helping sort of young adults. If that's a, I think that's a polite phrase. I don't mean that as a pejorative, but um, helping just post-college folks like see themselves as leaders, but without just being an echo, whatever coaches voices in their head you know, finding their voice. That's really the thing. And I, and I tell them right away, please don't have my voice. Please don't, please do not, please do not be me, be you. And let's figure out you and, and how to the, the, get the best out of what you got. Cause that's what the kids will get the most out of is yeah. the, the best version of you, not you trying to echo me or any other coach you've 
you know, you appreciate. Definitely. Yeah. Those first couple of years as a coach, it are super formative and it is really, it is really introspective. You've got to figure out what it is you love about the sport, why you're coaching and, and learn, like you said, to see a bigger picture. It's not just, okay, I'm putting out this four on the water today. It's how does that fit into the season? How does the season fit into our philosophy here at the club? Yeah. Absolutely. And finding the humanity in the sport. I mean, these are real live human beings who are making and putting in a ton of effort and it's a very difficult sport to learn, but it's once you've got the corners, as you said, you know, everything else um, falls into place and, and it's just such an interdependent sport. It's such a special sport. Um, No other sport is like this. Right. Like there's, you form these bonds with people that are so intense that you like, you know, it's mutual suffering that creates, you know, really close bonds in my life. Anyway, it's like negative experiences draw us way closer than just having a good time at a show. And right. the, the, the amount of vulnerability, I mean, that's this, we, we have this conversation with the parents a lot and this doesn't sound weird. I tell the parents like, you know, your kids are better than you. Right. And like, that was the goal. I hope. So like be at peace with that. Right. Like your kid is somehow expected to have a 4.3, get a perfect SAT score, volunteer at their church group, um, become an Eagle Scout, become an elite athlete. Like the amount of things that we're putting on these kids is, is, you know, I'm amazed that they don't break. And, and, you know, as adults, how often do people in our professional lives tell us we suck? Not often. Hopefully most not us, often. Yeah. Most of us don't do that. Well, yeah, not what? today. <laughs> that's, that's an entire high school journey. The entire yeah. high school journey is you got an A on the biology exam, but you know, you did miss these three questions. So next time you should try this, mm-hmm. right? It is your boat took second at this big regatta. And if only you'd found eight more hours to erg a day, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you could be a real athlete. Like there's this constant, even when they're high performing in 20 areas, it's, it's a constant, they're constantly reminded of what they're not. So we, we talk a lot about make, make today, make this piece, make this moment a conversation about what you can do and, and what you are capable of and not what you're incapable of or not good enough at. And, and today, yeah. for today, I mean, they're, they're just, there's so much going on in their young lives, you know, uh, with these, uh, with the junior athletes, I mean, masters as well, you know, they're working eight hour days and, and wanting to have community and social connection and exercise and fitness and all of that. Um, you know, back to that whole athlete perspective, you know, here's you today. I see you let's get to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we have this as adults, we kind of have the scar tissue to be a little more resilient, right? Like we kind of, we, we've been through enough things a lot of the time to where we don't get overwhelmed as easily, but these kids, you know, it's, it's weird. I, I had the privilege of a career saving lives or trying to save lives. And I got back into coaching because I just love the impact I could have on the kids. Well, here I am in COVID and I've never felt like I was saving more lives at any point in my life than I am now. Um, the kids I'm coaching, it, it's not, you know, it's, it's all in the balance. It's, it's not, I'm not sure it's all going to be okay for a lot of them. And so if we can provide a place, you know, where they can be at ease and, and trusting and comfortable being vulnerable um, without fear and judgment. Like if we can do that, if we can create that. Wow. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's life-saving, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, I've never been as aware of it as I have rowing through COVID. Yeah. And you said, Oh, I talked to you recently about the past year, year and a half. And I've been so curious about how programs may do. And it sounded like you had a pretty, successful year and a half or at least you've you know have, yeah. you've come into this season in a pretty good place could you tell us a little bit about what was going on in Williamsburg over the last yeah. year and a half yeah I would say Williamsburg is politically about as normal like we're we're about as center as you can get like we're not particularly one way or another so we faced COVID in a pretty moderate kind of way we shut down for a while and then we had very small ways we could kind of sort of start thinking about uh, group things again and so what we did is we we have a lot of good friends we I, I try as hard as I can to 
be supportive of every team around me. I'll move my race, whatever I got to do, I'll loan you an oar, whatever. So we had a team around here named Mobjack, and Mobjack loaned us a fleet of like 10 singles mm -hmm. because they were off the water. So we basically ran like a movie theater for several months. We just we were like, look, we got 10 seats. We're going to have four practices a day. Whoever signs up gets to row. Yeah. And so it was the, it was exhausting on the coaching side, but it was the best we could do. Right. And that's all I can ever expect of anyone is do your best. Right. So we, we rode singles all for quite a while. And then when allowed, we just kept um, doing what we could do, whatever we could do to let the kids row in some way and the adults um, we did. And what, what I think it helped people realize is I think it answered a lot of people's why. Um, if you didn't know why you rode before and you rode through COVID, you're probably a little more aware of why you row now, like what, what you get out of it, what it, what needs it meets. So our kids on the team now it's, it's, we've always had great kids, but, um, I think COVID helped them realize the why. And so now we have a lot less, what I used to call social members. You know, my parent wants me to do a sport, this a sport. This is pretty chill. I'll show up twice a week. Right. More of our kids now, I'd say, are just so passionate about rowing because they appreciate what it's doing for them. They, they're aware of it now in a way they weren't maybe clear about before. So now I find myself coaching a team that's a little bit smaller, not terribly. Like, I think we had like 52 kids on the roster, 55 kids on the roster this fall, which normally we're about a 75-kid team, so not horrible. But every one of them, every single one of them is leaving a mark on my soul. I mean – yeah they're, they're great right? yeah, fantastic. so i have a question for you tom because you've talked about um coming back into rowing uh yeah. a, a few years ago you you wanted to have your butt in a seat with an oar in the hand yeah. and then it, your wife was like no you're gonna coach <laughs> do you get the chance to row these days i don't know if i've ever asked you that no yeah it's funny i tried to do it I tried to row and I competed in the single a little bit when we started this team, the, the youth program here. So the club existed well before I got here, but the youth program, I was there sort of from the inception of, and that's when the team went from like 20 people to almost 200 at some points. Um, so I tried and I, and I did, and I do enjoy rowing, but you can't help but be who you are. And the problem is if, if I'm around and say there's a master's eight, right? So the first thing that's going to happen is I'm going to try and be faster than the master's eight. The second thing that's going to happen is I'm going to be looking over at their boat, trying to figure out what I can do to help them row better. Mm, uh, right. You're wearing so, all the hats. Yeah. All so the hats on. So I will turn, I'll turn rowing my single into a coaching session at the drop of a hat, even okay. if it's just coaching myself. Right. So right. Um, what I've done instead, I realized it was unhealthy uh, because I started resenting rowing, like as far as, you know, why aren't you rowing as hard as you can when I don't even get to row, da, da, da. So I've actually become a competitive disc golfer um, as a way disc of like, golf. yeah, huh. big time, big time. And um, I'm, I'm decently ranked and um, I do it because it puts me outdoors and it lets me practice a very specific sort of a very focused sport without judging myself or without having to be a coach. You know, when I'm out disc golfing, nobody asks me for technique tips or, you know, I don't have to get a, nobody's, no disc golfer's parent emails me. Uh, you know, so I've found that that's been like a really good thing for my mental health is to actually care about a sport besides rowing for myself. Yeah. So and I know a disc golfers usually get into disc golf because they were ultimate Frisbee players. And you and I are very similarly aged. And yeah. I played ultimate in college because it was a super cool thing to do <laughs> to like to yeah. be an athlete, but also yeah. like maybe smoke weed on the weekend. So okay. did you play ultimate in? Yeah, I did. I did half of what you're talking about because I, I was didn't doing, actually smoke. I was, yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. <laughs> I know lots you did. <laughs> no judgments. Yeah. Um, so in the Coast Guard, we would always play at rescue stations, which I was, that's what I did most of my career is running rescue stations, being at rescue stations. We always do team sports on Friday. And what happens with American football is people get hurt and they get bored. And what happens with soccer is the people of skill embarrass everybody else. So totally. for, for like eight years, all of the Coast Guard units that I was at, we would play ultimate Frisbee every Friday. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was a way, cause if you have legs, you can play. Like if you, if you're slightly mobile, you have a use in an ultimate game. So yeah, I love ultimate, but I'm also not somebody who should run anymore. Um, so yeah, disc golf is kind of awesome. 
but again, it's the same thing. It's just me being in the woods in a quiet space, trying to perfect uh, something that is very silly. If we think about it, I, I, I say on good days, I'm a good disc golfer on bad days. I throw Frisbees in the woods. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's what I, that's what I tell the rowers too. When, whenever people get really frustrated at rowing, like you realize we're like warrior monk practitioners of a long antiquated mode of water travel. Yeah. Like right. yeah. if you mentioned the propeller, we're being, ever since propellers were invented, we've been pretty silly. Um, so yeah. at the end of the day, I love it, care about it, but I mean, come on, man, yeah, <laughs> you know, my, there's, there's better my, ways to go. My husband asked me once, like, why, why do you sit in a boat and holding a stick to propel yourself backwards? Like that's yeah. how you boil exactly. down. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's what, um, our, in, at that, on our Columbus episode, the learn to row coach, you know, and I teach a lot of learn to row and she was like, it's just very basic. There's a boat it's shaped, you know, like a little missile and you get yeah. to hold this 12 foot stick in your hand and you got to do it all at the same time. And then it sure. works. And then it's like, there's a forever journey that goes with that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful. And I think it's beautiful because it is sort of silly, right? Like it, it, we choose, it's something I choose to care about. I don't have to care about rowing. Nobody in the world would ever care if I didn't show up to a boathouse ever again in my life. Like, I think somebody yet I, would care. Well, okay. Well, my <laughs> wife definitely, but, uh, but we choose to care about this. And I think that's a sort of dominion that a lot of us need in life is like something that isn't work or family that you have to attend to that you choose to attend to. And that that's like, well, like being a painter or a musician. Mm-hmm. Nobody made nobody nobody made me learn to play the banjo, but I like trying to get better on my banjo because why not? I get to choose that. It's it's I have dominion over it, and I think yeah. that's that's a that's probably a reason we love rowing a little bit. I'm glad that you mentioned musicians because actually just the other day I was watching this video. Uh, Dave Grohl uh, yeah. was uh, was being interviewed, and he was talking about learning to play the drums, mm-hmm. and that you know you start playing the drums and you're like on like a couple of little things. And then at a certain point, there becomes this disconnect between the brain and the hands. And I was yeah. like, that is exactly actually how I feel when I'm rowing some days where yeah. we might be rowing like a 5k. And all of a sudden, I don't know where the last 2k went. Like, right. I right. know that my blade was, you know, moving and my oar was going, my blade was going in the water. But there's this kind of film that goes in front of my eyes because the body just knows what to do and it becomes this feeling sensation my my banjo teacher geronimo uh that i used to take lessons from in texas he was an old vet and he told me hey man first we have to practice enough to be tight but then we have to practice enough to be loose (laughs) that's a a good coach ism right there for sure That leads me to wonder, so Tom, I have a question for you because I talk to a lot of rowers who talk about being nervous. I'm so nervous. I've got this race coming up. I'm about to get on the water. I'm so nervous. And I think a certain bit of nerves might be helpful, but I don't get nervous anymore. What do you think about that feeling of nervousness when it comes to rowing? Um, so for some people that can be an addiction that can be unhealthy, mm-hmm. like anxiety mm-hmm. can be like its own, like, oh, I'm going to ride this adrenaline. Mm-hmm. So you'll see that. I see it a lot in the erg room where people build up so much anxiety and it's almost like they, they desire it. They, mm-hmm. they create it because it, it brings them close to the edge, right. That I'm feeling so much of that. But when I talk, when we talk about nerves, I always tell people start with the end start with the end in mind, right? So um, we often, I talk about rear view moments, right? So every aspect of my life at some point ends up in the rear view, right? Like wherever I've lived ends up in the rear view mirror. And when you look back, whenever I've driven away from a military unit for the last time or, you know, whatever, you think about like, so what, what in that was worth remembering? What was, what in the rear view moment, let's, let me make the, the picture, the photo album. And in those moments, it's never the pain and suffering or the misery. It's the people, it's the beauty, it's the, and and so I talk about that when we do like bird testing and things like that. I was like, start with the end, start with how proud you feel whenever you realize you've made an ounce of progress, start with how good your body feels to be fully alive. And afterwards, how you, you can hardly drive home because you're buzzing. Like, so we talk, I stalk 
for anxiety, I talk about starting at the end, right? Start, start with the good outcome that you would want to picture. In fact, uh, this fall, I have half my team are seniors. We have 25 seniors on the squad. And I've talked to them about like, I want you every day to think about when I hand you that ore plaque at the spring banquet. And when you are handed that plaque and you picture what was worth remembering about this whole experience, let's, let's create another one of those memories today. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's start with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I think people get, you like you said, addicted to that feeling. And yeah. then it doesn't, it doesn't translate well when there are seven other people around that it's leaking out to, right? If you have mm-hmm. one person who's really, you know, kind of amped up. And I think there's a lot of people who as fully formed adults, especially the masters and fully formed adults, we come in with these expectations of ourselves and we have very high expectations for ourselves. And, you know, one of the first yeah. things I ask people on their first day of rowing is like, who's a type A and who's a CEO, right? Yeah. Of their lives, not necessarily of a business, but who's, who's a CEO of their lives. And I yeah. always say, you know, I want you to think of today and every other day after this at rowing as your day off. Just give me two hours and just take right. the, take two hours off and just trust me. I got you. Like, let's go to work and, and we'll figure it out. But they, you can, you can see the relief of like, yeah. okay, I had a coxswain at head of the Charles one time, right. As we were launching says, I want you to take all the crap in your mind right now, about what could happen. that's not going to go well, or everything yeah. that we've drawn all the drama that's come into preparing for this and whatever. And I want you to put it in the backpack. I will take the backpack uh, uh-huh. and then I will heave it overboard <laughs> yeah. at the start line. Yeah. We can carry it all the way up to the start line, but then I'm going to, you know, right. heave home right. and then we'll go down the course. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I'm not as elo- uh, eloquent when I, when I coach learn to row, especially with adults, I'm like, Hey, let's let ourselves suck at this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like let's, let's be okay. Let's be okay with sucking at something. And I, and yeah. I tell them like, and I know you've done this before because I'm going to, I always tell them, I'm like, I know something about you. You may not remember. You sucked at walking. Like I swear <laughs> You were terrible. You had a big old right. head, little tiny legs, <laughs> you wandered around and banged into the coffee table. Let's go back to that mode and be okay with it. Oh, and, if, yeah. and, and we talk, we talk about 1% better a lot. Like if you're just 1% better today than you were yesterday, Hey man, three months from now, you'd be awesome. Right. Yeah. Like, so let's, let's accept 1% growth as plenty more than plenty. That's, yeah. that's an alarmingly fast growth rate in the course of a lifetime. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's such a journey, you know, and and it can be any day is going to be different. You know, Uh, we, one thing uh, I like to tell people is, you know, you might be technically perfect today, but mother nature might say, uh, -uh, not today, today. No, you don't get to play that game today. Today you get to adapt and today you get to, you know, have a 17 mile an hour, you know, crosswind, take your oar out of your hand or whatever it is, you know, yeah. That's, awesome. that's, a, that's the beauty of a water sport. Again, an open water sport is the water has a vote and that's why it can never be science. It, it'll always be an art. What we do will always be artistic because you know it's, it's the reason I always find it comical when people talk about course records in our sport. And I'm like, really? Tomorrow, like, tomorrow it doesn't like, matter. Yeah. Like the wind, I don't know what the wind was that day or the barometric pressure, the, you know, mm-hmm. the current, like just be in this moment, you know, and, and, and be willing to adapt with it. So I I was just thinking about when, when I learned to row, one thing that my novice coach said to me that stuck with me all these years is to row, you have to be humble. And so I go into every practice knowing that there's an opportunity for me to learn something even after 20 years. So I was wondering, Tom, when you think back to, you know, high school Tom in Orlando, Florida, (laughs) your first season, is there something that sticks with you that a coach said to you then? Yeah. You know, it was, it was the, it it was kind of the opposite. This is what's weird, right? So I forever will love Rick Gotham, even though he doesn't coach rowing anymore. And he's a product of Mike Davenport. He was my head coach, right? I don't remember his voice. Mm. I don't remember him ever needing to speak. Right. So what I, First day of practice, he puts two ergs, the good old Model B, at the base of a little slope. And the entire 80-person team has to watch as he sets us up against each other, um, whoever Thanks. he thinks we're like, likely to compete for seats. And I ended up competing with a guy that would end up being an, uh, an NFL running back. <laughs> huh. so, 
the dude had legs. And uh, anyway, the, the, the point is he didn't say anything. We just set the ergs and went, right? And the next day, this is like the most validating growing moment I've personally had. So the next day at his classroom, he had posted the boat lineups on the door based on the ergs books. He was like, and some other whatever secret soft coaches know that none of us will ever know, right? Um, so I legitimately thought I had a good shot at the 2V. So I looked for my name and I didn't see it. And then I quickly told myself I'd be at peace with the third four, the third eight. And I didn't see my name. So then I was really mad because mm-hmm. like, I, I know I'm too big to, I know I'm stronger than those guys in the fourth eight. Maybe he's trying to send me a message. Didn't see it. So of course I saw my name in the one V, but I didn't know what eight seat meant. Um, uh-huh. So I had to ask somebody like, am I in the bow, man? Yeah. He's like, no, you're uh-huh. stripping the varsity eight. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> so the coach never said a thing. He didn't explain it. He didn't like make some like, let's make peace with this argument he just he saw work he rewarded work and honestly for me like that's the best coaching moment in my life it was the first time honestly it's why i joined the coast guard was um i fell in love with the idea of a meritocracy i fell in love with the idea of a place where who i am doesn't matter what i do does and and i wouldn't i don't think i would have seen that without coach gotham i just don't know if i would have seen it mm-hmm. and you probably wouldn't have seen that without rowing like yeah. it it was that sport and that scenario. And, you know, it's, it is meritocracy. It's just, you know, you put in the effort on every level, physical, emotional, connecting, collaboration, you know, all of the pieces, right? I mean, two, two quick, isn't it funny sort of anecdotes where rowing helps is my first job in the Coast Guard was the presidential honor guard. And I remember one time I was standing there for some, it was during President Clinton's administration. I was standing outside and it was snowing on us for like three hours and we didn't get, they forgot to let us move. Um, And I remember like I'd lost feeling up to my knees, but not quite my hips. Your hips is when you will fall. Um, I lost feeling in my legs up to my knees. And in my head, I was laughing, trying not to smile because that'd be very bad because I was thinking to myself, it's not a 2K. Right. <laughs> at least it's not a 2k test right. Right. and then and then same thing happened to me in northern maine i'm doing like looking for boat looking for a person in the water in like 15 foot seas in a 40 foot boat and so we're outside and it's like you know whatever minus zero blowing snow in our faces and you can't feel your skin and literally i'm giggling and the guys are laughing what's what's going on you know chief and i'm like well just thinking it's not a 2k man (laughs) yeah the 2k has been your measuring stick for everything else challenging for the rest of your life it's why it's why i love watching when uh university of washington go huskies uh the dogs when they post their their erg test videos i'm always just like everything's easy after that everything and and, and real, real, real briefly my my daughter was born on a power 10 so, oh, did you, did you cox not, your wife's birth? No, in fact, I was trying to like squeeze the, I, I was trying to stop the doctor from speaking, but the doctor heard my wife was a rower. Yeah. So yeah. literally in labor starts giving my wife coxing calls. No. Well, I'm holding the leg and I'm shaking my head like, no, 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 no. Cause my wife was specific. She was like, I know she rode. I don't want to hear anything about rowing. Right. Sure enough, I think I think my daughter was born around seven on a power ten. Nice. Um, That's the way to do it. You don't want to be number (laughs) twelve. That is wild. I didn't even think about that. That could be a side gig for coxes. They could totally teach midwives how to cox at birth. Like into yeah, yeah. Breath in, connection here. Breathe, breathe. Let's sustain this. Right. Uh, Well, we got to talk to Michelle now. Now we got to get Michelle's side of this whole story. Um, One thing that you and I have talked a bit about in the past is this idea of of safety and preparedness. And I know you were talking a bit about um, your work uh, in the Coast Guard. And um, could you tell us a little bit about this uh, coaching conference that's coming up in December? I think you said you're going to be presenting there. Yes. Yeah, I'm teaching uh, risk management and safety plan development. You know, uh, pretty much anything, anything people want to ask me about boating safety. So when I retired from the Coast Guard, I was pretty happy to move on. You know, I was like, I've done what I came to do. I'm ready for the next chapter. And then the more I'm around rowing, the more I see some gaps uh, in how we approach safety and risk management. Um, 
and it's I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just we aren't a bunch of commercial mariners. We're we're rowers, and so having now worked on in search and rescue for you know a whole career, and then come back to rowing, what I'm trying to do is develop tools to help coaches and administrators, you know, avoid the next victim. I mean, it's it's as simple as that, right? Like is you know, giving them some simple tools to look at a situation and figure out the best course of action to make everyone come home safe. So I'm teaching, I got asked to present at the Jim Buckaloo Coaches Conference in Augusta, uh, Georgia, um, by Brad Holdren, who's organizing everything and um, great folks. And uh, so I'm, I've put together some presentations. I'm going to be going down there teaching. And I've been talking to Chris Chase about this topic as well and and might be doing putting some help and work with, with him at a conference this next summer as well. And but so is I'm, this, I'm sorry, is this about um, coaches being safe in their own launch boats or is this about uh, rower rescues or is this about um, proper dress or? A little bit of both, right? Like, so how do you take the, whatever the task at hand is, right? If it's running a practice or a regatta, how do you figure out where your largest risks are gonna be both in terms of severity and probability, right? Like what's likely to happen? Okay, uh, how, and then how do you mitigate that? How do you spread out that risk so that, you know, get the right resources, get the right tools in place so that you aren't just taking chances. You know, it's, it's okay to take risks. It's not acceptable to take chances. And um, so a lot of it is developing simple, simple tools that coaches and administrators can use in any scenario to go, okay, how do I, you know, how do I come home without regret? Right. And the other one I'm, I've been working on is mishap analysis. We don't, in the Coast Guard, anytime somebody gets hurt, anytime a boat gets destroyed, we have mandatory reporting requirements of, so, that, so that anyone in the Coast Guard can say, hey, the weather looks like this. Do we have any mishaps when the weather was like this? We don't do that in rowing. We, mm. we, have, this, we have this weird, not, not too weird, but um, we're so afraid of embarrassing people or telling a sad story that we also don't learn from our mistakes very well. So the mishaps we have that I see in rowing keep repeating in part because we don't deal with it. Like to me, and, and this is this sound dramatic, but it's just my career. The best way to honor the dead is to take the lesson from their death and never let it happen to someone else. And if mm -hmm. we don't do that, it's actually disrespectful. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to work on a way to simply help our sport avoid the next victim. So I, I'd be interested to see if you knew about the website that lists out uh, rowing yeah. tragedies. Yeah, Mark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Row Safe USA, I've become involved with. We're looking at mm -hmm. partnering on creating some products. That that website is fantastic. And I we were talking, mm -hmm. you and I were talking this week, actually, <laughs> at, about the road ahead between the two of us, because I, you know, I don't see... A time when I won't be teaching rowing safety, you know, boating safety, just based on my previous career, it would be um, just, it wouldn't be right for me not to step up in this area. Sure. So he and I have been talking about how to turn his website from more of a collection point that you can read, which I, I told him, you know, this, this website is amazing at waving the flag. It's saying there's something out here that needs to be done. Um, and what I'm going to hope to work with him on is creating tools to say, Here's something you can do. So it's a more inclusive, like, I want to bring people into the conversation more than try and get them to feel scared enough to do something. It's more like, hey, what? here's something that, like, uh, one of the ones we're working on is a quick response card uh, packet, right? So if you're a rowing coach, put this laminated three by five, mm -hmm. you know, six cards in your, in your toolkit mm -hmm. so that if you do have a swamped boat, you don't skip a step. Or, right. you know, you know, it, just some quick response stuff, because I think it shocks me how much we expect of our own coaches. You have to be a mm -hmm. technical expert, a motivator, a communicator, a commercial mariner, a rescue boat operator. I think mm -hmm. that's too much to ask, especially considering the pay. Um, I think that's right. a lot to ask people. So I want to find tools to make that easier and, and better for for coaches and administrators. Yeah, I was just rereading the story of uh, the kippy kit, like why we have the kippy kit in yep. the boats um, and the kippy story. And I just sure. think, you know, it got mentioned. There was a bunch of fire lit. They made the kit. Now it's just sort of every day. Yeah. Everybody has one. 
Yeah. It's no joke. You need to have your CPR training. It's no joke that you need to have first aid right. training. It's no joke that you need to have hypothermia training, right. you know, and, and be able to read the one thing, you know, commercial Mariner, you said, but like being able to read weather maps and having three different yeah. apps on your phone, like, you know, one of my former high school athletes here, um, he was hired when he was a sophomore at Texas A&M to become the head coach of their club team. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's a sophomore rower. He's now got a staff of three coaches and he's coaching a t- club team. Where can he go to read about the, what happened that day so that he can gain experience without having to go through it the bad way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't that young coach log in somewhere and say, what were the club policies? What was the boat classification? What was the experience of the people involved? Right. What was the coaching situation? What was the weather specifically? So that he can learn without having to make the mistakes himself. And that's that's what I'm hoping to see our sport develop in is more of a kind of an open book on how we can learn the lessons that that would help a lot when you're a young coach okay Okay. Tara do you think it's time yeah let's do rapid fire rapid fire rapid fire now I'm nervous wasn't nervous till now all right all right so we're going to ask you some questions we just need a quick answer uh there's six questions here Okay. okay sweep or skull Oh, skull. Yep. Skull. That's now that we don't have lightweights anymore, more and more sculling. Mm. Yep. If Williamsburg Boat Club had a mascot, what do you think that mascot would be? A Viking chicken. Uh, Okay. Uh, Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Oh, you're killing me. Uh, at this point in my life, engine room. Yeah. All right. For rowing, salt water or fresh water? Fresh water, not a question. Okay. I have to fix boats. Great. Yeah, if you're the boat maintenance person, yeah. absolutely. Fresh water. Uh, sprint race or head race? Sprint. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Uh this is a family-friendly show. Right? No, nope, doesn't have to be. Doesn't have okay. to be. <laughs> we are not under FCC regulations whatsoever. We could put that little I, E on our show. Well, I, I dream of hearing what Mary Whipple said in the Rio games when she told them halfway through, you are the U.S. women's eight. I would love that if one of my coxswains were to say, you are the Williamsburg Boat Club varsity eight, that they would know that it signified they had competed hard and had earned the right to know they were going to win that day. Uh, are you a uni man or a tank and trowel? Uh, better than that. I'm a Henley and trowel man. Ooh, yeah, and trowel. Yeah. Nice. And last question, most important, coffee before or after a row? Before. Yeah. It, everything starts with coffee. I totally thought you were going to be like, I don't need coffee. No, <laughs> I wake no, up no. like this. <laughs> no, again, my wife is literally like a four cups before going to her job as a nurse supervisor at a big hospital. And so we yeah. have to share cups before anything else meaningful can happen in life every day. This okay. might actually make a little bit of sense as to why you're such a talker, Tom. I think yeah. <laughs> the caffeine yeah. jolt. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay this has been great thanks so much for doing this tom what a lot of fun thank you so much guys it's a it's a real i i feel privileged to get invited to talk to you guys this has been wonderful have a good afternoon and uh, we'll talk with you soon bye tom all right to see photos of tom and williamsburg boat club and get links to the people clubs and events mentioned in this episode check out our show notes on our website Did you know that Steady State is more than a podcast? We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and around the world. Join us for Coffee Chat, our version of the post-practice hangout. For about half an hour, we shoot the breeze about our rowing week, talk rowing news, training, calluses, and a whole lot more. We go live on Instagram every Friday at 8.30 a.m. West, 11.30 a.m. East. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. Looking for workout buddies? Join us for Steady State Sundays, the fourth Sunday of each month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. 
Register for this 60-minute steady state ERG workout and we'll provide cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. Work at your own pace and then stick around after to talk. To find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, visit steadystatenetwork.com events. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Rachel Friedman. And me, I'm Tara Morgan. Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience and running successful rowing-related enterprises. Rachel is the founder of RowSource, the original resource for master's rowers. And Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, championing inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at RowSource and Seize the Oar. All right. High five, Rachel. High five, Tara. All right. We'll see everybody soon. Bye. In two, let it run. That's one, two, let it run.